Welcome to Pop Culture Camp. I am going to be your host tonight, Dream of the Endless. With me is my goblin-eared Seneschal, Dave. Hello. My adorable baby gargoyle, Brent. Uh, bark, bark. And my wise cracking COVID forest. Hello there. <laughs> hey, Steve. You know you don't have to. No, this is this is the thing for the whole episode for me. Hmm. It's a little bit. I'm not. I'm not doing a good job. I know. Well, <laughs> I know that. I first want to apologize for having you left left you in the break room and locking the door and. I. And then I building did. a glass wall around it. For, for months. For months <laughs> for, we left for together. For 107 years? No, it was more like 107 days. Yeah. <laughs> but it was I, really weird when you threw a rock and exploded that owl that, owl that flew around it. I, you, you killed my delightful bird friend, yeah. Jellamy. And it's just Jessamy. But it was a pigeon. That wasn't your... Look, there are a lot of unfortunate parallels, but what is going on? You know, you're not actually Dream of the Endless. Yeah. Oh, he's trying to, he's like whooshing his hands around. I think he's trying to turn into sand. I, do, yeah. I, blew, I blew my sand on you. No. That's just again, that's actually just I'm, glass shards from the break I'm, room that you damaged. Why am I explain then why I'm in the making? I honestly can't even begin yeah. to understand what you've said in that. Lucien, I must get, I must find my rubies. Should we make him do a 30 second summary of the series so far in this voice? No, I think that would be extra no. hard. Someone give him That's reinscribing trauma, my dude. I think maybe if you would just take a quick sip of this water that I've brought you, you might find that this voice affliction will ease up a little bit. You haven't had anything to drink other than yeah. vending machine Mountain Dew. Yeah. And I didn't think Mountain Dew could go stale, honestly, but it like there's sell by dates and we don't we don't go through it fast enough. Buying the vending machine was probably one of my worst financial decisions to support this enterprise. Yeah. It didn't sorry, help did you that see? you popped open all of them in, to make an impromptu bath. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> well you you lock a man in a glass cage and give him Mountain Dew. It's what, like, what else did you expect to happen? It would work for the Mountain Dew. He would have nothing. Yeah, exactly. And then, I mean, now it's a fun game that my my doctor and I are playing about. Is it jaundice or is it literally just yellow dye number eight? Right, like, <laughs> literally impossible to tell. I've learned the blood work comes back the same. The dye is killing my liver, or my liver is exuding the dye. Ah, what are we here to talk about, Steve? So. Neil Gaiman, once uh-huh. upon a time, yeah. wrote a graphic novel with like Alan Moore and probably a bunch of other hardworking people that whose names just aren't aren't really registering here in the in the zeitgeist. Well, lost to the sands of, of yeah, exactly. Know. These poor people that did all the hard work. It's all just star power and and wacky imagery from those two ye- or from from Neil Gaiman at least. Neil Gaiman, I'm coming for you in this episode. What? I, I Whoa! Yeah, the, you, you know thought, he's my favorite thought, author, right? Please just introduce the prod. The the the. the, 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 the it's like there's only one word you had to say. <laughs> oh yeah, 
Sandman, the show on Netflix. And then we hear like the 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 the, the long forgotten pop culture cake <laughs> two two note stinger thing. We we have a two note stinger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's in the vault. It's like the 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 dun dun. I don't remember how to do it anymore. Oh man, yeah, it's been so long. It's been so long. Anyway, yeah. yes, we're doing we're doing the first two episodes of the Sandman series on Netflix. I I read ahead. I read next week's assignment, so I'm going to do my best to constrain myself. But this yeah. may disclaimer spoil future episodes for those of you who wanted to listen along and get the get the experience that way. I guess because no. No show is complete without listening to us chuckleheads react to it in bite-sized chunks afterwards. I'm going to shut up now. Well, partially the bite-sized chunk thing is that you know most people consume this type of media in a in a binge format, but for us doing this as a hobby, it seems like maybe too much of an ask to six days before recording be like, "Hey, watch the whole show, <laughs> get the whole show in." forget all the other things that you have to do but i didn't i didn't realize and it, it wouldn't have changed the the ask but it, i didn't realize that the episode length varied so much which is like an, a side discussion of a weird benefit to foregoing or not being beholden to the tv commercial format is that the individual episode lengths can be appropriate to the story that they're trying to tell yeah. as opposed to having a hard 22 or a hard 42 minutes so here, here. Yeah, I was really surprised how short the second episode was compared to the first and the rest of the series. Are any of you like? Do you have read the source material? Yeah, because I don't. I know nothing. I've read. It. I read. I've read it, and it's one of my favorite. It's one of my favorite graphic novels of all time. Hmm. I read it in high school and affected me so much that I changed like my aim, my aim name to Dream of the Endless for a while back in the day. Oh, nice. Whoa. Yeah very good i don't remember much of it that's what comes with age it's like you know you consume something when you're young and you're like this is revolutionary to my this my, is my entire identity now yeah yeah and then you know 14 years later you suddenly are like watching the show and going i don't remember the book but i don't think this happened <laughs> you're you're mad but also slightly misinformed <laughs> yeah i don't what? i don't mind that the show if the show has which I think it has diverted itself aggressively. I don't really care. I don't think that that these like interpretations of the media of the medium or the media, whatever, should be so deeply beholden to the source material. There are some exceptions. I think it's really about execution. So it's almost unfortunate that it can only be judged in hindsight. There's no like blanket rule book, like always follow the source material or never follow the source material. I, uh, Look at something like the Sandman and you're like, oh, this is fine. Or then you look at something like Hobbit and you're like, what have you done? Well, that's just a bad movie. I, I mean, I don't know yeah. if it has to do with like adherence well, like, to the source material or it's just like, is this entertaining? Yes, no. Well, they stretched um, a very short thing. Anyway, we don't got to talk about the Hobbit. It's crap. <laughs> so I have not read Sandman. I've well, I thought it was your favorite author. Yeah, but I, I can't get past... I do not like the old style of comics, to be completely honest. I like modern comics. Modern, uh, you know, like what? And, Give me a year. Well, once they started using more digital art, you know, less hand-drawn stuff. The hand-drawn stuff, I don't know, just... Give me a year. Especially the... I don't, I don't know. I'm shoving, I, I'm shoving you. Give me a year. 2000s? <laughs> the 2000s, like Marvel's Ultimate. You like that art? You like Rob Layfield? 
Uh, oh yeah, oh, you're boy. a you're a fucking hack. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, dear yeah, dear internet friends. If you don't know, you should Google a little bit of Rob Layfield art because it is. Mm. Is he the is he the one who like he drew the torso but then he it just Captain kept going? Trapezoid oh, okay. Man. Okay. And also, okay. also infamously like the Captain America chest that is like three that is like ten barrels big, mm-hmm. big like two big chests like too large <laughs> of a chest and then just weird shitty lines everywhere. It's a shitty. He's a shitty artist. It's not. It's, yeah. All right. So Sandman, I'm enjoying it so far. <laughs> yeah, I'm also you know. enjoying it so far. Yeah, Patton Oswalt came out of nowhere. That was spectacular for me. I haven't, I would, met, I haven't met him yet. <laughs> I would challenge you to go back and read co- old comics, you hack. <laughs> just zeroing in on Dane is normal. That's normal. That's normal. I don't, yeah. I don't even have the this. I don't really care that much. I'm just doing it for the bit. We have the Patton Oswalt is the Raven. He's Matthew. Yeah, Matthew. Oh I, shit. That's the third episode. Yeah, then. that's the third episode. I, that's what I said. You guys earlier. are reading ahead. Are you? I literally said I'm earlier. Wikipedia I don't think this. Matthew appears until the third episode, and you chuckle and and Forrest like, no, he's in there. No, yeah, that's our, that's I our haven't bad. seen the third episode. That's our bad. That's actually, it's you know, I'll just blame Steve. Mal- <laughs> malnourishment and dehydration have addled his his brain you might matthew might appear on screen but he is not named nor he's, voiced he's in the preview he's in the preview and you go oh, oh that's Oswald. unfortunately spoiler alerts so we, yeah as, as as is always just, the case but we'll we'll yeah. be more we'll be more careful going forward first two episodes so let's just you know how about for the benefit of that first episode was goes up through dreams lord morpheus's entrapment and how it affects the humans around him and then the second episode oh no <laughs> the second episode is dealing with them beginning to start the the hero's journey of finding his crap by vis- vi- by visiting some dreams and talking to the fates and then returning an egg to Cain and Abel. So, yeah, those are the first two episodes. Uh, you know, I think unfortunately the story doesn't like finish its first act, its true first act until the third episode, so we've I didn't but I didn't I couldn't have known. I mean, so, so Dane, you were saying you haven't read the book, but you are a fan of, of Neil Gaiman. Yes. Please continue with that thought. I'm not sure what else to contribute to. I think he's great at world building and telling good stories. What's I don't, I think Steve inferred that he like anim- drew Sandman, but I, I don't, I think no, just no, no, he Alan, not. I don't think he, I don't think Alan Moore, maybe Alan Moore I, was involved. I thought he was. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm finding out. But don't worry. We're, we're if, if Forrest you? is not Googling it, I'm Googling it. So I'm half Googling it. One, one sec. It includes a lot of artists, uh, a lot of artists, none of which seem to be. Well, it's also spanned, you know, decades, right? He's no. gone back and done some. Well, yeah. Yes. Side stories. But, yeah. But the primary, the primary book is seven year story. Right. And my friend at the comic book shop, who's a, a big fan of the Sandman, he says that it actually follows the first two volumes fairly closely. None of which are Alan Moore. It's a lot of artists, none of which are Alan Moore. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Fine. Uh, also, I don't, I don't know if Go Alan ahead. Moore is an artist. I think Alan Moore, isn't Alan Moore a writer? He's a writer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I thought he just contributed, but it looks like he just, it, he didn't. I just made a bunch of shit up. I mean, style-wise, it looks like a V for Vendetta sort of thing. So it's probably where your brain made the connection. Yeah. But regardless... I mean, there's just so much incorrect information that we have started the episode uh, yeah. with. Who's we? Who's aside, we? Aside from us all being hacks. Yeah, exactly. 
they're on to us. What is now. your favorite? What is your favorite Neil Gaiman work? Is it is it American Gods? No, I think it might be Stardust. I also really liked the lake at the end of the lane or the ocean at the end of the lane. Sorry. That was a really good one. Short story. The graveyard book was pretty good. Hey, 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 hey. Blah, I asked blah, blah. for your favorite. Not yeah. The, I'm just, not, don't run through his whole yeah. bibliography. What are you doing? All fantastic books. But yeah, um, I'd have to say prob- yeah, Stardust is my favorite just because it's a great novella, a cool world and all that jazz. He also wrote Coraline. I like Neil Gaiman a, a, a good amount. I've only really read American Gods and obviously Sandman and I've tried to get into the silver dream, but I, I just didn't, I just didn't finish it. Good stuff. Good guy. Anybody else have any in- interactions with Neil Gaiman that we need to talk about before? I read his children's book to my daughter ad nauseum. And you know what, Neil, it kind of sucks. Which one? Oh no. It's called instructions. And it, it's just very, I mean, it's very Neil Gaiman, right? It's like, I don't know. It's like an exercise in world building, but in terms of a story for children, it kind of blows. Like I could pull it off the shelf and read it, but I don't want to because it sucks. It's a series of instructions as if someone is going on a quest, right? But it's like, uh, touch the imp door knocker that wasn't there before. And there's a, you will find a door in the gate to the garden. Walk past the well three times. Don't talk to the princess. The dragons will be your friend, but the wolves are always hungry. Giants are very sleepy. Touch the golden eagle, and you will be taken to Winter's Kingdom. Blah, 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 fuck you. It kind of sounds like a text adventure, but you can't make any decisions yourself. It's it's a transcript of someone else's text adventure. That's a really good way to put it. It is... It is like someone was limited on character count and just did a walkthrough for a text-based game. <laughs> you're, That's you're, amazing. You're reading a Let's Play. You're reading it like a, yeah, like an old game facts ASCII. Uh-huh. Oh, man. I hope, it, I, I hope it's formatted that way. Where you have, no, like... it's got like art and shit on it, right? An, example, oh. an actual example is remember your name. Do not lose hope. What you seek will be found. Trust ghosts. Trust those that you have helped to help you in their turn. Trust dreams. Trust your heart and trust your story. Don't forget your manners. Do not look back. Ride the wise eagle. You shall not fall. Ride the silver fish. You will not drown. Do you hate it because it's obtuse? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, no, no. Because it's like, yes. You know what? Yes. Because it's stupid and obtuse. Like, it's It's... not a story. There's no plot. There's no... There's nothing yeah. to it. It is just like my, it is Neil Gaiman attracting a bunch of nerds to buy this book for their nerd children. And they can be like, yeah, look, I'm reading a Neil Gaiman book to my kid. And it's like, yep, it's the same dozy dream logic yeah, with some little ferret man going on an adventure. But what if it, but what if it, it okay, as an adult, right, you are yes. like frustrated with the abstract nature yes. of this essentially this book but you know is there not some hope that maybe these more abstract ideas will facilitate in your child a different approach to dream building fantasy building like in their brain you know what i mean like something that oh, that interests me it's like when you read like a lewis carroll book or so, i mean I'm, I'm not a huge fan but like a, mm-hmm. when you read shit like that it's like there's that almost like eldritch adjacentness to it where it's like it's just obtuse enough that it can almost become unknowing 
and you're like, oh, that implies or that's like interesting and that it is beyond me as a, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I think the thing is the the structure of the book could totally work if it weren't a bunch of disconnected, like each page is like a different random snippet of this character's journey. Right. The, right. Like I would have much more enjoyed it if it was like, yes, okay. You're going to go through the door in the garden wall and it's going to lead you here and then you'll do this and then you'll do this and then you'll do this. Instead, it's like, go through the door in the wall, walk through the forest. Now you're in a castle. Look out for the well, fly on an eagle, swim on a fish, run with the wolves. But does your kid listening to this, is your kid reacting to you like, father, I, I, I don't mean to bother you, but there doesn't seem to be a plot line or structure in the traditional sense and... It's quite disturbing for me, Father, that I, I I don't seem to be able to put myself, you know, in, into that into that point, you know, that point of view. You know, I can't really take on that perspective because, mm-hmm. you know, there's not a narrative through line. First, Father, first of all, <laughs> my child is exceedingly bright, and despite being not like, despite only starting preschool, absolutely speaks entirely in that way with that level of discourse. I, I, I yeah, I, this was not a. This wasn't a bit. This, yeah, that was that was just your impression. Yeah. No, but so here's here's my thing on children's books. Children's books are not written for children. Children's books are written for the adults that have to read these stories to children. Like obviously, there's a transition. There's an inflection point where it becomes right. for children, and it's like, oh, this is a thing that I, a child, want to read. But until then, it is like, look, look, parents, we get it. There's a lot of stuff about this that sucks in your life right now. You need to make sounds in the language that you want the children to pick up at them ad nauseum, ad infinitum, ad absurdum, right? And so as a result, giving them, giving you access to books whose like sentence structure, whose subject matter, whose imagery is is enthralling to a child, but is fun to read, that's the win. That is a good children's book. My man, Dr. Theodore Seussel, knocks it out of the park. You can't do the fake Dr. Seuss books that are written by some other schmuck. They kind of suck. Right. But a real doc, like a Dr. Seuss original, I will read, I would gladly read those a hundred times more than I want to read instructions by Neil Gaiman. So it's the same in a different way. If the, if the real measure here is whether or not you are frustrated by the book, do you not then find like the hungry little caterpillar kind of frustrating because it's not obtuse in any way. It's very direct in that the caterpillar proceeds to eat a number Mm -hmm. of different things. And it is told to you very explicitly is that, but is that not also unenjoyable because you are reading the hungry little caterpillar went to three oranges. Like you don't feel a little frustrated reading that over and over again. (laughs) It is actually less frustrating to me. Right. I think maybe, and that may be like an OCD thing or whatever, but it's like, yes, this is following a structure. We are going to count. It is days of the week, right? In the light of the moon, a little egg lay upon a leaf, right? We're going to go through the whole caterpillar fucking story here. No, there are not. seven days. You're going to no, go not. through. <laughs> oh, oh, not, oh, you meant like in the, in the, okay, I gotcha. Yeah, no, you're right going... now. Sit down. <laughs> yeah. Strap in. Yeah, strap in. Let me just crack these children's books for you. Let me give you some examples. No. So I, it follows a pattern, and I know what the book is trying to do. It is, hey, days of the week, numbers, fruits, awesome. 
right? Like these are all things a child can latch on to early in their life and get to. Like the idea that like giants sleep too soundly and witches are betrayed by their appetites. Like, no, those are just stupid. Those are stupid Neil Gaiman words thrown <laughs> on a page that a child is going to be like, I don't like what? No, but like, okay. My... Uh, but but uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, just hear me out on this. But okay, it's like math, right? Where we are, like we are, we were all taught <laughs> math in a very, in a very singular way, right? And it was, it was all of our era, of our time frame. And then they have they the way that they're teaching math now is different. And I don't fully, I can't fully speak to how they teach math now. I do know that it's like a point of frustration for some people. But the attempt or the idea, right, is to re, is to change how math gets metabolized. So mm-hmm. that it builds a different foundation for new math, for math later. Like, mm-hmm. you know, but we were taught math in a variable. It was like, you don't take smaller numbers. You don't take bigger numbers from smaller numbers. And then you don't do this. You don't do that. And we were like, you know, wrote, wrote repetition. Yeah. And then eventually they introduced new concepts like psych motherfucker negative numbers and imaginary mm-hmm. numbers and mm-hmm. all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. So it was like maybe a point of it was like maybe a point of difficulty or frustration for us having to transition to these new concepts. But if the foundation is different, maybe the new concepts become more easily consumable. And in the same way, this may seem obtuse now because you already have a lot of the foundation that you've had and you've also had a lot of the work and the education or whatever. So it's, it's, ab- it's abstract, it's obtuse. But potentially what I was implying before is that this builds a different foundation for them to take in concepts like like narrative concepts or ideas differently and more easily other than like reading harry potter and being like this is the peak of of storytelling is that this function this form of the hero's journey this form of the three stories or whatever it is that we tell so i guess what i'm questioning is are we like old (laughs) and it's like maddening to read something like this because we're so set in our ways and that potentially your very malleable child is able to like consume this stuff and it becomes, it like pays dividends later because all of it's foreign. If you know, to throw a kid, to throw at a kid math and or science and or whatever, it's all nonsense, magic garbo in the beginning and it becomes something later. So like the, 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 you walk through the, the, the rainy sprinkles and like, what, you know, like, fuck, you know, yeah. Others, yeah, maybe it becomes something later. Are, just, are just, you, I don't know if this is exactly what you're trying to say, but are you asking is like a story, a fundamental thing that like you teach a kid or is it like you can lay a different foundation and then have storytelling or whatever we're calling it be different for a future generation where they like process this stuff in a different way that's like it's like foreign for us but well, i think it's, it's a not short bad i think it changes the path to media literacy is what maybe i'm is what i'm questioning okay like you see a lot of people who are willing to make certain criticisms about media you know something that we all do right as part of this thing we, this podcast we all mm-hmm. take attempts to dissect and metabolize and reinterpret media and something that that i think the majority of the people here would have a better understanding than I do because they have had some level of higher education is that like media literacy or like the ability to be critical of something is not inherent. It is like a tool set that you learn. It's easy to be like, this show was bad. I didn't understand why this was this way, you know? Mm -hmm. And then you like go through the process of through our, our very thin slice of, 
critical thinking or whatever, you can come back to something and go, this was this way because it represents like the hubris of this and that other thing, or this is the structure of this because the structure, like even to the point of like the structure of this is meant to infer something like it's difficult now because I didn't come prepared to discuss this per se. Did it come prepared uh, to discuss child stories? What? Yeah, yeah that's weird. Uh, I do. Well, well, it's like, it's, you know, it's all, it's all the same boat, right? We're talking about. Oh, I was just going to say, I wanted to close. I was thinking we should close this topic a with a, a beautifully timed dog sneeze apparently and for another great example of a children's book that i love reading i want my hat back by john Classen. and so basically i do want to reel this back for a second neil gaiman's instructions is a poem i have learned from the internet and at that point all bets are off <laughs> i mean also i do want to say that my my daughter does also have a book which is just an illustrated version of the lyrics to what was that fucking song day is done and it blows and we all know it we all know it blows <laughs> well, yeah, i don't the, know what yeah. what is day, day is, like day who? is done is a, is a 1969 single by peter paul and mary uh, you should look it up if you wanted to hear a, a single from 1969 by folk trio peter paul and mary <laughs> you can't keep saying that those three names like they mean anything in that in that in that order it's, it's kind it's, of amusing though it's a it's a musical group from I mean, come on, guys! It's you, late sixties music. If you groups. if you repeat if you repeat the same three bits of information, like that, it is a folk trio from nineteen sixty nine called Peter Mall, Peter Mary and 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 Ty, and and Tyrell. I don't know what you said he, anymore. It's, he, it's he's nonsense. Casting, he's casting a spell on us. Is what's happening right now? <laughs> it is it's like a, it's a mentalist <laughs> trick. But anyway, no. So it's it is an an illustrated children's book that is just the lyrics to the song, and the song is full of repetition. Right, it's like one verse, and that's it. It's a verse, and then just a shitload of choruses that are the same line again and again. It absolutely sucks. Right? I forgot where I was going with this. Oh, I remember. I like my Neil hat. Gaiman's... Oh yeah, I want my hat back. Great book. Uh, no, but why Neil is Gaiman's it a instructions book? is a poem? Oh, I'll tell you why in just a second. Neil Gaiman's oh. instructions is a poem. All bets are off at that point. Fuck it. It's an illustrated poem. Yeah, like it then I, gets lumped in with this shitty picture book. I want to just day is I, done. I just want to say that yeah, all poems can have no rules, but there none of all of these rules are self imposed. You wouldn't, you wouldn't, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> it's not all bets are done the second somebody puts words on a paper. Realistically, uh, well, it's. I think it's that the purpose is ultimately the purpose may be the same, but the vehicle is different. Right. In poetry, you are literally bending, weaving, breaking language to produce this lens through which you can evaluate your own experience. Right. But like prose, if you will, isn't that prose has to convey a like an intellectual construct in the form of a plot story narrative, whatever you want to call it. Right. Yeah. And, and Neil Gaiman doesn't deliver on that. He's how too does, busy making does, woogity woogity bullshit. Anyway, how, how does I want my hat deliver on it? I want my hat uses very few words, some actually really adorable pictures, and tells a story with like morality, with heart and humor in a way that is kind of amazing, right? It's about a bear who lost his hat, and he asks other woodland creatures if they have seen his hat, and then spoiler. For the 2011 classic, I want my hat back. He f- 
finds the individual who has stolen his hat and then lied to him about having stolen his hat, and he settles their dispute. Does he kill them? So if you ask my child, no. He sits on him and takes his hat. But yes, he is a bear yeah. missing his hat, and a rabbit stole his hat. I, You can put two and two together, because we were adults. Yeah. Didn't you say, it was, is this the one you were talking about where it's like very clearly obvious the rabbit has the hat or something? Oh, he's like wearing the hat. The bear walks <laughs> up and like, have you seen my hat? And the rabbit goes, me? No? What? I haven't seen a hat. I would not steal a hat. Don't ask me any more questions. And the bear's like, okay, thank you anyway, and moves on. And then, I mean, if we're just detailing the plot of this book, like several several pages later, he's describing the hat to someone who asks like, oh, what did your hat look like? And he's like, it's, it's red. And it is pointy, and he stops. And the next page is like a red filter over top of it, and he sits yeah. up, he sits bolt upright, and he's like, "I have seen my hat." He am, runs I past am. all the creatures. Yeah, I, hold it, on. This is not good podcasting, but click that link. <laughs> oh, uh, you, have link. you should. Yeah, you should read this book. It's dope. If you scroll down just a little bit, you'll see the fucking like uh, the, the, the the fucking the murder page, the murder wow. page of. You should. I mean, show notes, right? Just throw, throw all this in there. Throw all this in there. No content. It's a. It is also hilarious that there's the, the next panel is them staring at each other, yeah. in no words. Yeah. It is. It is almost. It is almost like, ah, man. It's almost like great filmmaking. The the next page yes. gets his hat back. The implication. Yes. Uh, uh, this is what I'm saying. Is Neil Gaiman should should like kiss John Classen's feet and be like, I wish I could write children's book like you, well, but he guess, won't. Because he's too busy living in a separate house from Helena Bonham Carter and making are they married? the subject matter that turns into... No, he's married to... to uh, Amanda Palmer? Palmer? Oh, so, shit. So what does Helena Why Bonham do I Carter... even say facts at this point? <laughs> uh, what weird, like, Mandela effect you know, world do you live do, in? Do you, know Neil, you know Neil Gaiman is not Tim Burton, right? <laughs> <laughs> You have to. You have to. You have to tell me. You have to tell me you know that, or it's entrapment, or it's entrapment. I'm okay. Hold on. I'm looking at a picture of Tim Burton, and I'm looking at a picture of Neil Gaiman, and I am. It's the same. It's, a, it's that gift because from, they are getting real close. It's that gift from the office where it's yeah, the same photo. Yeah, they're the same photo. But it is actually. It is actually quite. It is actually quite weird that they do look so much alike. And then, I mean, again, like Amanda Palmer and Helena Bonham Carter, like it. The threads are the threads are weaving tighter and tighter, man. <laughs> so, um, is that true, though? <laughs> no, it's not true. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm if, flabbergasted. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. I'm honestly no, 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 no. I mean, I, no, I, great podcasting. Click this fucking link. I'm. I, <laughs> well, uh, it, oh. it's it's very close. Yeah, also, they even have the same yeah. energy, really. You take yeah, that back. That picture, that picture of Neil Gaiman looks like a cross between Dream of the Endless and the character who has not yet appeared, who has the ruby, and I'm upset by that. Uh, so. Cinching this conversation, I will it's ask this final question. Unless this final, are final. You, what are you, are do you want to fuck Neil Gaiman? What's going on right now? <laughs> Who are you defending him time. to? Not my time. Are you sure? Because are you, you seem sure? pretty upset. Yeah. Brent's gonna turn this pod car around. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Let's close this inch. You have said that you read this book a lot to your daughter. My yeah. read on that, right, right, what is inferred or what is implied, I should say, is that your daughter enjoys the book. <laughs> mm. But, but children's because, books are for the parent. But here's, yeah. here's what I'm saying. If the daughter does not enjoy the book, because mm-hmm. you clearly do not, why do you continue to read it to her? Because if the book is for just you, you should stop because you don't like it. And the only reason mm-hmm. you wouldn't stop is because your child enjoys the book. And if your child enjoys the book, then it's a good children's book. <laughs> it's successful. <laughs> well, but recall, recall, right? Forrest hit it that the criterion in question is whether or not the adult who has to read it enjoys it. But then it's it, not. That's what, Brent, that's what Brent is saying, that if you it, don't enjoy it, and yeah, the there has book to be a reason for you. for you to have read no, it ad nauseum. Is this no, like a sunk exactly. cost fallacy thing? You're like, no, I this... bought this book. I gotta read the whole thing. Oh no, no, no! The book, the book was a holdover. The book was a was a graduation present from her mother, and so I didn't like it existed. But regardless why did you of read it to them more than once if you didn't like it so oh, much? I, that's a great question. Part of it is the fact that parenthood is psychological torture, right? And it was just like I had so many other things on fire. I was not gonna prune the book collection. Of this Neil Gaiman thing. You Unless to... I had just finished reading sir? it and then I would in fact hide it. Sir, you refuse yeah. to answer the question. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I will tell you, every time I read that book, if I had any amount of mental wherewithal left over by the end of that like vapid trash, I would hide it. But the problem is, a child has all the time in the world and none of the responsibility. You, and she would finish it out. In, in this court, in this. And I could not destroy it because it was an heirloom. What if I break into your what, house and what is destroy the, the book for you? What, as long as I could maintain plausible deniability, I would be okay. fine with that. What is well, the then this joke, conversation never happened. What is the joke about the like word. An animal court? Kangaroo what? court, you're saying? Kang, in this kangaroo, kangaroo court, court, you have refused to answer the question. Your kid enjoys the book then because they are searching it. Yes or no, does your kid enjoy the book? Answer the question, sir. <laughs> You yeah. son of a bitch! <laughs> no. Yeah, no, no, no. She she does enjoy it. It is long. It is a long book, and so by picking it, she gets to delay bedtime. You uh, say so the strategy it for tactical reasons. So oh, maybe absolutely the it's so maybe the she book right now has a Winnie the Pooh book that is like a million fucking text filled pages, and she's like, "I want this one, Dad." So, so it's a combination of novelty and yeah. duration. So then, if anything, your, she is book, so your daughter. The book has, if anything, opened up a space in your child's mind where they've been able to in- implement stratagem. <laughs> yeah, so Neil Gaiman taught my child to fight bedtime because if so, I will fight him. Anyway, the Sandman's okay. <laughs> yeah. I like yeah. it. It's fine. Same as uh, good. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> what did you think? Okay, something I liked about the first episode, they kind of set it up for you to feel bad for Alex, the kid. But then they made him. They they pointed out that he's actually bad by the end of the episode. I thought is that, that he was actually good. bad? Well, he didn't let he didn't let the dreamer go. But it's one of those things where he all the only thing he ever asked for was confirmation from Dream that he would not harm him and his partner. That's a good point. And so it is like I think it speaks to Alex's Alex having a character flaw that he is be a little cowardly. And has always been cowardly. Like he would, 
he, obviously as a child, this is, we, there's a lot of leniency there. He was afraid of his father. Now, mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. afterwards, he was afraid of the consequences that may befall him for doing the right thing. He was scared. But the but Dream exhibits a massive character flaw in that he is prideful to an extremely high level because he's unwilling to make the to have the discussion. That's true, but does that mean that Alex is okay for keeping a sentient creature in his basement for like yeah, decades? No. I'm not, but he's not. A, I don't think he's as villain. He didn't. He's not as villainous as his father, right? So he's, oh, well, that's yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, but that's just also who should we hold accountable here? A finite, the finite mortal who is, as all of us are, deeply flawed and unknowing of the massive repercussions of the universe. Or the literal endless being. <laughs> well, I, I think that's actually a really good. That's a really good note, though, right? Like a major arc through this series is about Lord Morpheus learning how to be, learning how to exist among humans, right? Because he comes in like kind of completely alien, as far as the as far as whatever his the dude Alex's dad's name is is concerned. Like that's it's. All. So I mean, he goes a hundred years without speaking a word. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, just kind of awkwardly his, staring. Yeah, even from his very first front, we see him before, right? But his very first, mm-hmm. if anything, I think I don't remember how the book opens, but I think the book opens with his capture instead of like giving us that little bit of preface that the the show gives us. I'm not don't don't quote me on that, but it, you know, if if the first shot of it of him is the cloak and the very H.R. Giger like jockey mask. That's yeah. so alien, right? That's that's extremely yeah. alien as a as a as a piece of imagery. But yeah, yeah, I guess I guess I wonder who do you who do you hold accountable? I think, but that's like a running theme. You're right. That's a running theme throughout the entire show. Is that like morality is a little weird? Well, and also that they are not. They are very distinctly not gods. They are concepts, or they are endless, or or whatever you want to call them. And so it's not that there is no omniscience. There is no omnibenevolence. None of that should be assumed of these individuals, of these entities. And in fact, you, you like see them in opposition, if only based upon their names. Yeah, they're very aloof, for sure. I think the first episode is interesting in a way that I think maybe sells, you know, for someone who's new to the franchise, sells a different kind of story. I think that the, the show does benefit from a binge or, you know, you know what I mean? Like, the first episode is like this, like like this weird character drama interaction where like Dream is the least important character. Mm-hmm. He is just like a, a force or a stimuli for all of these other characters to react to. And then from the second episode onward, he is like, I think it's almost jarring in the second episode how quickly he is thrust into being the protagonist again. Mm-hmm. And it's like I don't really have an attachment to this person, and we're like talking about the the dreaming being destroyed and. Well, and that's interesting because I feel like by it being like the man in the bubble, he is what we are supposed to be like empathizing with or connecting with. I immediately like that. I felt like that emotional bond was was easily cemented on my end. I didn't but, really give a toot about the Alex and his his struggles with his dad or whatever. I was like, I want to see what this Morpheus thing goes. I guess, but mostly, I mean, like mostly, I just felt sorry for him. I wasn't really connecting with him as a character, right? With Dream, yeah. Huh. Well, feel sorry, but also just feel like I don't know. I, I think I, I take Brent's point if I understand it that he's not he's not a character in the first episode, like not. Oh, oh sure. Because uh, okay. I did, no. I felt I felt more connected to Alex, where it was like here's a person who's also 
doesn't know a lot of what's going on and is having to, under great duress from multiple sides, grow up. And, you know, those decisions felt... I was like in, I was just, I could feel myself being from that perspective. Whereas obviously dream is very difficult to attach to, especially in an episode where he's a narrator and silent. Like those are his two functions is to provide us insight on the world at large and to be a creepy thing in a, in a glass. How was it? How was it suspended again? Was it magic? Chains. Oh, got it. <laughs> it, was, it, it was like in a weird way, right? It was like counter counteracting forces, like chains pulling in all directions. So it kind of was hovering. Yeah. Tane, what did yeah, you think of the first episode? I, I It was a very interesting introduction to the show. Also something we haven't talked about that was pointed out to me by our friend Kyle. That is Steven I's friend. It's filmed at one aspect ratio, but it's presented in another, giving it a stretched appearance so that it feels more dreamlike. I don't know if you guys noticed that. I well, I mean, since this seems to be the theme of, of my presence in this episode, I have some beef about the cinematography that I can get into <laughs> at any point. <laughs> no, I, I think you should get into it. I did. Yeah. I thought yeah. the second episode was like blurry, but I couldn't tell if it was just my internet connection quality at the time. But like, it seemed blurry in a way that was incorrect, not watched, like intentional. I watched part of the second episode in my shower, so it was not only. Oh, there you go. You're getting the whole experience. Not only on my phone, but also not parallel to my eye line. If that, it was like the phone was, Netflix doesn't auto rotate. So (laughs) I have the phone in, in, in vertical mode. Uh So the picture is sideways to me. (laughs) (laughs) Like, did you duct tape it to the single flickering light bulb suspended from the ceiling in this like saw bathroom? (laughs) I have what's going on. I have a towel rack in my shower that I'm able to lean the phone on the top of the towel rack against Mm -hmm. then the wall of the shower. Mm -hmm. So it just leans there, but it's not the negative space behind the shower, the the rod and the shower Mm -hmm. wall and the height of the phone when horizontal is such that if I try to lean it that way, it'll fall. Sure. So it's, (laughs) but you watched it rotated 90 degrees. Yes. And in the shower. (laughs) Can we cut in a sound effect of Ebert crying right here? (laughs) Who is Roger Ebert? Mm -hmm. No. All right, Steve, (laughs) let let him have it. Yeah. Okay, cool. So first off, I do want to say that that comment Dane made sounds like it was like red off of like red, right? We were like, did you guys know that it was filmed in one aspect? Did you you take notes? No. Okay. Well, Everyone always accuses me of taking notes in the show. I did it one time for my first appearance. I was all excited to be on here. And they just guys won't let it go. Oh, but hold um, on. Before we... Steve, I'm yeah. so sorry. My no, that's fine. Friends. Dave, were you done talking about the first episode? I want to make sure that you, you haven't had a chance no, to talk I thought about it. Was it a, I thought it was a really neat way to pass the time. I mean, establishing characters that have been literally dead for decades by the time the main story takes place. Establishing just how much of an asshole Roderick was, but also, you know, hinting at the damage done by war because he did everything because his son died in the war. I believe the war with Afghanistan, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe one of the African wars. I don't know. But regardless... And I'm definitely very curious how he ended up capturing Dream as one of the Eternals. I don't know if we'll get an answer to that. He was well. He he was in his intention was to capture Death. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If an he, endless, not Eternal. Sorry, I got Marvel in the brain. Apparently, no worries. Yeah, his intention was to capture Death. But he, yes. I think, he mistakenly captured Dream because Dream was more. I don't know, physically closer on the mortal realm. I'm not sure. I, we also haven't talked about Corinthian at all yet. 
Right. And I know because I watched the second episode fast forwarded to try and figure out if Matthew was in it. <laughs> Just now? <laughs> Just now you did that? No, it was earlier. It was earlier in the episode. Why, so wait, you why did you watch it? So you were so excited to see this Raven that you watched the second episode on speed up? No, he's, no I, I was during I the, really thought. Yeah, during this recording, right? Because oh. in the Wikipedia article, it said Dream and his Raven Matthew. And I was like, perfect, Matthew's in it. So I can talk about Matthew. And then it turns out I got did dirty by Wikipedia. There's like did a you, conversation like, oh, there's always a Raven. Did you but, guys clock in the two first two episodes that his eyes are teeth yeah and the second episode well, and i noticed episode. so is is that his eyes are teeth or that he has no eyes and it's just he has no eyes. eyes but there are also teeth like oh, has three mouths his eyelids are teeth and he has no eyeballs that is it's, horrifying it was not it's it's not unclear in these two episodes but the lighting of which and the framing of it i just thought that they were textured differently and in the mm-hmm. third episode, it becomes plainly clear that they are teeth. <laughs> and it was like this realization where I was like, oh, this guy's kind of creepy. And then in the third episode, I was like, oh, oh, <laughs> oh. Yes. Yeah, he's, he's, it's interesting. It is a lot of setup. The first episode goes through all of this work to set up these characters that then all die or go to sleep forever, except for Dream and mm-hmm. Corinthian. And it is like a necessary function of the story to explain why dream has to do like, like what is the, like the inciting factor for all of this stuff? It is feels a little weird that none of this stuff, it really, you know, like none of these, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> well, Ethel, I mean, Ethel continues to be a character, for example, mm-hmm. like, I think there's enough of a connecting thread for it to, for it to feel important to watch the first episode neil gaiman's stories do tend to span like multi-generations is it do you guys feel bad for alex's partner because he did the right thing yeah and he was punished for it is that a comment on morality how do you feel like because he lost his partner yeah he's destroyed the circle Mm -hmm. and looked at it and looked at dream understood what had happened and chose not to say anything or intentionally did it. It's a little bit, maybe it could be a little bit left up to interpretation. But ultimately did make a decision by not repairing the circle. And then the consequence of which is that Alex is in a permanent sleeping state and is, will likely mm-hmm. die in that way. So this man did the right thing, was presented to us in a way that they were ostensibly good throughout, supportive throughout, and that's their just rewards. I don't know what to tell you, man. <laughs> I mean, I feel like the story is not interested in punishing all the bad people, quote unquote, bad people and like making all the quote unquote, good people whole. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, I just I think it's almost it almost but it, I think it also reinforces that dream is flawed because dream in his desire for retribution or whatever did not take into account that he would be punishing or did take into account and did not care that he would be punishing his savior, like his savior, the person who looked out for him without any ask or anything. I think dream is, especially in the beginning, amoral. There's just no morality. You look at some of the other names of his siblings, which I feel like they say at the beginning, but I can shut my mouth. If no, that's it's fine. Well, and so there's like despair and desire and death, right? Th- those things aren't moral innately. There is no morality imposed upon them. And that's it. That's that's the problem. 
within the character. There's like interacting with humans, not in terms of like, oh, I can see their dreams, but like chilling out with humans is what creates a morality. I think that's a cool statement buried in it is that these concepts obviously have no morality of their own, but we have constructed it, right? We see another individual that does not, that doesn't have that moral conundrum. He sees an opportunity, he seizes it, because he is a being, he is a creation of purpose, not with purpose, but of purpose, right? He was brought into existence to do a thing, and he can't do the thing, and that is not comfortable, or not correct, or in violation of the natural order, or whatever, makes a sleeping sickness, ravage the world, Right. And so great. This is my opportunity. Goodbye. And to the dude that kept me in this bubble for a while. <sighs> dreamy time. Right. That's it. He just moved on. Right. There's no I don't I didn't see it as a there was no thought at all. But if he was a if he was amoral, if he just mm-hmm. moved on, he wouldn't mm-hmm. have bothered to deal with Alex. He would have just moved on. Well, I think I don't it's know. I think I think it's what Steve said. I think it's an evolution of the character. Right. So initially he gotcha. is just aloof emotionless character and as he is developing these human emotions it's more, the first uh, arguably the first emotion humans feel is anger when you're like a child or something like that so it's mm-hmm. kind of a reflection of that of him lashing out in this vengeful act is almost like one of his first human things he's done mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay yeah awesome yeah that was a good that was a good combo right there so cinematography getting into it so this isn't I don't think this is a critique of the show necessarily. I learned that there's a little bit more to it. The whole filming package looks very Netflixy. Like the first thing that sprung into my mind as I was watching it was I was like, wow, this looks a lot like Good Omens in seeing that it was like the same source material, relatively same levels of like reality bending allowed in the story, right? And it's and I learned that Netflix basically just is like, here are the cameras you can use. Here is how you can film your shows, because we need to be able to serve people who are watching it rotated 90 degrees in their shower and people that are watching it, you know, in 4K or 8K or whatever. Right. I don't know how future proof to the standards are at present. But what it ends up doing is it makes everything really samey. And in like I have seen some scans of the comic. And it's like the art styles are like in wild flux, depending on where in the metaverse the story is taking place in that moment and whether or not any of the endless are exerting their powers or whatever. Right. And then we just see some like relatively attractive, normal looking people walking around for most of the show and that the fates in episode two, I think were cool. And we're like the setup into like, okay, there's going to be some magical realism here. I'm getting excited about that. But it just, I don't feel like it delivered in that same way, right? It's like either CGI dreamscape, right, of the dreaming. You're like, oh, yeah, it's got stained glass that moves and stuff. Cool. Or it's like a, just a regular character drama. Are you saying it's not like, it's not allowed to be stylized like the, like the source material? Or, or just well, that it's I'm boring? Thinking, well, I'm thinking like a decision was made to make it boring from a visual standpoint. And I think the rationale is like peeling back the curtain and looking a little bit at like how the sausage gets made, right? Like if they blew a bunch of money getting big name talent on set, they had to, the money had to go away from somewhere else. I mean, cinematography could totally have been where they were like, all right, nope. Or, or like they blew all their CGI on the, on the Corinthians IT 
right? And they're like, eh, that's all we got or whatever, right? We blew, we blew all the money on all of the cool celebrity cameos aren't, they blew all the money on Asim Chowdhury, mm-hmm. right? And so they were like, that's it, is that we have to do a lot of time with people just walking down the street. People walking down the street, mid like mid-torso framing, talking. And it, I, and I'm not, I don't think I'm done. I'm not done with it for sure. I think there's some more episodes for me, but it, it hasn't delivered on the promise of the graphic novel. And that's the thing. It's a graphic novel, right? And it is, it takes that format and it really digs its teeth into it and does some cool stuff. And then we see just kind of a bland interpretation visually on the screen with Netflix who has buku bucks to throw at this, to throw at these projects and, softballs them and then like subtitles a bunch of K dramas and calls them Netflix original. Like I don't get it. Mm-hmm. So I thought you were going to make a slightly different point. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was curious, like what you thought about this, I, I thought we were going to go with this is that because they're spending so much money on this, they don't want it to be, they, they don't want to oh. take too many risks because right. they want to make sure that it lands with viewers which I'm not sure if making it visually distinctive would be that much of a risk, but I'm curious about like, cause I feel like there is an element of that, especially with like certain types of like blockbusters where you don't really want to do, you don't really want to take enough of a risk to alienate your audience. Right. Um, oh, sure. Cause when you make, sure. you want to make the money back. And, and that is also a good point about netflix's shows being sort of samey visually i think there's also a netflix pacing the pacing is slow because in some places it's not at all but i feel like and this is actually a series where you're allowed to make like episodes that are 20 minutes longer 20 minutes shorter but you sort of like stretch it out a little bit to increase like viewing time i'm not sure though if that if this series really shows those shows those tendencies too much though Right, because from from my understanding of their like metrics and stuff, right, it's both the amount of time someone spends watching it and how, like, the completion rate in in a given time span, right? And so, like, for it's like how box office stuff works. So for like the first four weeks, they want to see how many people start and finish the show, like start and finish the series, and then secondary to that is like how many hours are spent viewing it, right? Because they're built on the binge model, like they know it, and they want they're using that as the as like what moves the needle. It's like, oh, was this binge worthy? Especially considering Netflix is in like a precarious position in the market right now. Everything has got to be safe. Everything has got to be profitable as much so as possible because they're like any publicly traded company beholden to their board of directors and their shareholders every quarter. Yeah, it's funny how all of our episodes end up being kind of about the same thing, but <laughs> but you're right. So, I mean, back to the art style stuff. Yeah, it's, 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 it is a very flat, like there's a lot of really interesting effects going on, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of very interesting shots happening, especially when it comes to the dreaming. But I think what did strike me was that the dreaming did read very flat. So something that I remember of the comic, the, the graphic novel, is that when the dreaming is involved or like other realms are involved. There's a little bit of alienness happening. Mm-hmm. There are definitely panels of like, there's a lot of vibrant colors. There's also panels where it's just blacks and whites, you know, very, right. uh, 
And I think that, that definitely Netflix definitely, I think part of the problem though, is that to replicate some of that imagery is to invite risk like we talked about, not in, in necessarily in, in, in reception, but risk and execution. So mm-hmm. I don't like the Sin City movies <laughs> in that in their in the way that they handle black and white because I think it it reads very comic panelly and that some of that is intention. But I also wonder if outside of like gen, like true animation, if it is hard to convey the same type of like how how do you reproduce something that is like essential to an illustration in a, in a mm-hmm. live action and yeah. and you can't really i mean you can you can do you can adapt it in different ways i've placed um, another link like as a point of example yeah like how does no, one like, how does one go about interpreting that with the actor who plays dream they come close a couple times like where they and it's one of those things where it's like they hint at how he's normally portrayed with the like dark eyes and starlight being the pupil he does that briefly when he punishes Alex. And in that moment, I enjoyed it. I thought it was like very cool. And I think if they had just kept him like that throughout, it would be mm-hmm. fine. But this but this like stark blackness versus the features that he has, I don't know if you can Yeah. I, I don't know how they would do that. And also like in all the lighting conditions, like imagine if they illustrated him like that on screen illustrated is maybe the wrong word to use but let's say they tried to portray him like that on screen but like <laughs> in the bright foresty world of Cain and Abel right <laughs> like it would just it would not read correctly it would be difficult right. to do well well and so i was while we were talking about this i was thinking i think part of it for me is like if you use human actors there's expectations of like how they look right that's the sin city problem is it's almost the uncanny valley or like, or like a rotoscoped film, like, um, oh my god, I can't remember right now. A Waking Life or something like that. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. Yeah. Uh, right? It's they're wild. Like those those movies are wild, and they're definitely risk taking, and they're definitely polarizing. And I thought about like Sir Ian McKellen trying to do the Hobbit movies where everything is CGI'd, and so like you're acting against a tennis ball on a stick that's at the at, that's at the rough height of your like cgi co-character's head right so that you know where to put your eyes and so it's it's a matter of like they could you could do this really well right now you could animate this super well but we need but apparently we needed human beings to do the thing and as a result we have to like we have to make it less we have to pull that punch repeatedly again and again and again yeah I'm just like, if this were, when you said rotoscoped, I was like, yeah. oh, that would have been so cool if they had done it that way. But then I thought, yeah. would anybody have watched it? <laughs> would yes. I have watched it, to be honest? I don't know. Well, and that's and that's what I mean, is that the whole book is like that, based on a cursory Google search of several panels, right? Like, like the style, the color palette, and everything will change, but it is experimental. But this image right here is dope. Great radio, I know. But I was thinking about, okay, I would have been... Like the dreaming is flat and boring because I know like we we almost intuitively at this point know it's like a green screen. It's not practical effects. It's nothing so cool. It's lost all of its depth in that way. And the only thing I could think of was like, well, 
it's because there's humans in the green screen. I thought about like Red Dead Redemption 2 or like Ghost of Tsushima. Not that this is a video game podcast, but well, like that's part of pop culture. Oh, thank God. Yeah. Um, but they're supremely enthralling worlds with beautiful imagery and like all of it because it's a homogenous, it's like a complete world built in a video game engine. And it's the same problem, right? Is that like voice actors and things like that can do the star power and bring people to it. But I don't think Netflix would have pulled the trigger on, on, you know, I don't know, X million dollars in an animated Sandman, even though I would stake my professional clout as someone who has an art degree that they don't use anymore, that that would have been a better movie. I also think some of it is for the CGI stuff. I think some of it is is a like a little bit of a misunderstanding of what the benefit is of live action or the ability to use cg that like intro to the dream the dreaming is Mm -hmm. very impressive in in some ways but there is like a little bit of a lighting thing that i think is like there is an unwillingness to oversaturate colors in some you know what i mean i think a lot of it is like color issues to like if they were to just be more experimental more vibrant more separation between trying to trick me that this is real because i know that it's not real it's kind of like the late 2000s era of video games where everything was brown everything was like super brown just so that (laughs) You would be so you'd be like, oh my god, it looks so realistic. But now you look at them oh. now and you're like, actually, it's just brown. The gears of the gears of war games. Yeah, yeah. no, I do like, like the gears of war games. Like there's but... that scene, like in that intro scene when the when the, when Jessamy goes to the painting. I don't know if you guys remember this, but like there's a pumpkin man painting something, and Jessamy flies to the painting, and we witness the painting painting go from two dimensional to three dimensional space before shifting through a couple more spaces and then coming to dream. All of that is very flat and very gray. The effect of the painting to the room is actually super cool, but the colors don't pop as much as I want them to. And like all of the all of the shapes are appropriate in that they are like the function is to trick me into seeing these things as real but like if we were to play with perspective or to play with those relation of things side like stretching what is what my brain has understood to be the size of a book for example or the the height of a table or the length of a wall or how trees work or how bridges work or how water works bending and bending that stuff to be a little bit disconcerting i think would have communicated more of the dreaming to me do you think it would have looked goofy? Do you think it would have looked like right. bad CG if you make it a little bit too, like, if you make it a little bit too goofy looking? Which, yeah, you know. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a risk, right? And that's part of the thing is that we know why they did what they did mm-hmm. because of the risk. But it's the same thing. It's the same. This is a similar issue that I had with, this is better than what I'm about to mention. But it's a similar issue that I had with Christopher Nolan's Inception in that, Inception applied so many rules to the idea and concept of dreaming. It was like witnessing somebody who could only who could only think in in like in like evenly distributed lines try to describe how the concept of dreams work. And it's like I'm just watching real life happen in, inside of someone's mind multiple times. Mm-hmm. And I know there are definitely scenes where it's like the top of the world flips on top of itself, but that's all still geometric. Mm-hmm. And it is more yeah. and is more like and is more, I think, 
more acceptable from my perspective in like Doctor Strange where it's like a mirror dimension and they do similar things like geometry and shapes and stuff. But it's just like, ah, the, the thing is bending on top of itself, and but it's all still in line. It's all still meant mm-hmm. to trick me into thinking that the flat plane of this world, of our world, curved upwards to be parallel with itself. And it's like dreams are, for me at least, wildly inconsistent and and constantly changing with no regard to continuity, no regard to logic. You know, from one moment I'm talking to one person and in another moment that person has changed, but I have subconsciously accepted that that is the same person that I was talking to. I'm talking, I'm in a dream and forest, you and I are running through a forest and, <laughs> and, and we're, and, and we're, and, and we're like, I'm like, we got to get away from this T-Rex that's chasing us. And in an, and in an instant, I will have ducked down behind a bush and suddenly be in a park. The same T-Rex is chasing me. And I look over to you, Forrest, who I know is Forrest is now Steve. But in my mind, it is the same person who I was talking to a second ago. The visuals have changed. My, my, so, you know what I'm saying? It's like dreams are meant to be mind-bending. Yeah, and sorry about it, but the other thing that I heard about dreams that like, I hadn't thought about it this way before, but it immediately like made sense to me at least, is that part of the reason you can't describe a dream to somebody else after you've woken up uh, like part of it is that you you try to like rationalize it so you end up accidentally changing what happened but the other part is that you have really strong emotions that are incongruous with quote unquote like what actually happened so like something feels like really important in your dream and then you wake up and you try to describe it to someone and they're like what are you talking about that's boring or like that doesn't make any sense it's because you had such a strong feeling about something and, and it like resonated with you in the dream but it doesn't it's not in the actual text of like what happened in the dream at all so i think that's the other reason it's like really hard to convey dreams on screen as like a thing that feels the same is because it like really just doesn't feel the same yeah and if it did it wouldn't be a dream i think there's a way to shift it from looking like we've the raven has flown into another wizarding world or like another high fantasy lord like that dream, that raven, based on that intro, could have flown into a like a World of Warcraft city, <laughs> like <laughs> a Dungeons and Dragons city. Yeah, you want it to be a little bit less a Christopher Nolan thing and a little bit more of like a paprika thing. Yeah, um, I want it to be like there, and it, even if it's subtly for there to be inconsistencies, which is I think a fundamental aspect of dreaming and and nightmares. Mm-hmm. Is that there is not a linear, and that's why I think the 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 perspective shift of like flying into a painting and it turning into a library is pretty cool. But like again, the color kind of comes out as flat in that. But it's like that stuff is cool in that it is inconsistent. You can't fly into a two dimensional painting and then somehow show up in another part of the castle. But rolling up on the fucking castle, <laughs> I was just like, oh, so it's Narnia. Like it's like. It's yeah. like uh, it is just a magic. It is just the thing that we have been. And then also it being the CG type that it is. Oh, we've seen this. You're, you're talking about Cain and Abel's world? or about the first episode. First in episode. The, in the intro, before he's captured, mm-hmm. the raven is flying through the city through narration. And we're, we go right through the gates. And the gates, I think, are alien and interesting. You know, obviously they're gates. But it's like you see all of this like iconography and stuff. And it's it's a little bit more... 
like what does this mean that type of stuff the second they go through the gates and it's like this verdant green castle and and small township around that castle a bridge coming out of water all of these things maintain relatively sensible structures and follow through and like i could kind of see how just a high elf would have made this city that's actually a really good that's a really good point if you're the like lord of dreams and you have this cool like the like the walls so far so good but the fact that it's so absolutely fucking fantasy boring inside is such a disservice like you can kind of get it i could see it if it were a cool statement that like the dreaming has crumbled and everything looks mundane and sensible as a result <laughs> but to your point right we fly we do the like intro sequence flyover and it's yeah it's it is because they had to build a bunch of platforms and a green screen for any of the human actors to do something and then the rest of it was all just so lame and it kind of and and there's there's maybe a defense in that you could make an argument that morpheus as a character is very matter of fact but that that is more of a criticism of kind of falls through in that when you read the the books even though he is that same type of energy kind of kind of boring well, you know but the dream right. is still dreaming is still wild like space and right. his eyes suddenly become the the entirety of space and then back into and he's it, it's still wild as fuck in the in the graphic novel and it is very clearly from it is very clearly the next setting of my D campaign you know, like you were like you walk in and the, like, even like 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 we see a Pegasus and we see a dragon. It's like fucking these things are not yeah. uh, they're not. There's a regular ship, not in a even if one of the even if you were to see like a naval ship just sailing through air, you know, like something yeah. that is incongruous with reality. Whereas whereas this is like if we were to just white out all of the creatures this is a, a high fan. This is just a city that is potentially, they can potentially exist. Okay. So there's this, follow me on this one. There's an off offhanded remark in Lord of the Rings about how elves can see, can see things really, really far away. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it means that basically elves can somehow compensate for the curvature of space to allow themselves to see further. Cause eventually that's right. If you could see forever, you'd eventually just hit the end of the world. Like you'd, the world would get in the way of the thing you're trying to see, right? And I think of it that way in terms of Morpheus being matter-of-fact, is he's extremely matter-of-fact, but he's also a dude that wears, like, a bone gas mask thing because that's obviously the most efficient way to get his magic power focused was, all right, cool, I need dreamy sand, bone gas mask, and ruby. Duh. And move on with his life, like, without a second thought, even though, you know, dreamy sand and the ruby are like, ah, fantasy nonsense. But then it's like, oh, also I have a bone gas mask. Yeah, it's it's exactly I I I totally resonate with that idea of the of that apparent duality, right? That he is boring and uninteresting in a universe that is wildly interesting. Yeah. Dan, what do you think? I mean, I was not offended by the cinematography. I felt it fit a certain motif. I'm trying to remember that. It reminded me a bit of the painting that like the xenomorph is based on. I can't remember what it's I called. I just I literally just sent a link. Click on the link I just sent. <laughs> what what that is, that's a space jockey. I am looking at a blank white piece. It did not uh It did not did it not load correctly. Sorry, that page is missing. Yeah. Is, okay. Whoa, it, spooky. 
Give me two seconds. But yeah, it does. It does. It is very HR Giger. That is the artist that did, did the, uh, the xenomorph. Yeah. The xenomorph. I mean, I, obviously, without the the numerous penises and etc. But but yeah, it, it is. It is very reminiscent of that. I mean, this also kind of came out in the same era, right? In the late late eighties is only ten years after Alien. And around the time when I sent another link, around the time where HR Giger would have a lot of influence, and hopefully that opens. Yep. Yeah. So if you if you see the profile of this space jockey, it, of the head, it is very similar to his helm. Oh yeah. Yeah. The colors and kind of the, the flat. I mean, I, I, being familiar with Neil Gaiman's style, I mean, I I it just oozed his energy. I guess. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think what's interesting is that you don't have the frame of reference for the material, right? Like you're not comparing this to the Sandman and you're just comparing it to your understanding of how Neil Gaiman presents world building and spaces. So in that sense, I don't think, I don't think it's, it's, it's offensive. Yeah. And I also don't think it's, like I said earlier, I don't mind that it diverges i just think it's i just i'm taking um i don't mind that it's not the book i take umbrage with its present presentation of how dreams like might be represented because i take umbrage with most of how dreams are represented i think they're all kind of boring and like too linear too too square right and i think that's i think that's the thing right is that if we tried there are a couple of movies that have tried to capture dreamlike things and they're always niche because everyone's like oh i didn't want to have to like think this hard with nonlinear chronology, right? Like um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind gets guff from the fact that it's told out of order. And people are like, wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's right? You try to do that with dream movies. logic. It's also one of the best movies of all time. So sure. Yeah, Charlie Kaufman's... I mean, Inception uh, kind of does like the weirdness of dreams pretty well. Did you fall asleep in the middle of the Inception? <laughs> it's fine. He was doing something else. He spaced out. I spent... I spent a solid seven minutes shitting on Inception because I thought that it did no, not I, handle dreams no, right. I, I, I think I was dreaming and I just blocked it out and replaced your reality with my own. Yeah, that's it's fair. Fine. Which fine. is which is which is more dreamlike than Inception. For sure. <laughs> oh, In certain nice. aspects. I don't know. It just seems like you guys are, are sticking to certain parts of dreams and not well, I mean, being dream normative. Yeah, for Whoa. sure. Right, dream yeah. prescriptive. Yeah, I guess you're right. I guess, I guess, I guess, I guess dreams are just like you just apparate a bigger gun in your hand, and, right. you, still, and you still have to drive around in a car. <laughs> in- or like the, or the there's the like topsy turvy hallway thing in the hotel. That is, I have never had that. Like it's so undreamlike. It is like a practical effect. It reads like a practical effect. To make you think they're in a dream. The hallway's rotating with Jason Gordon Levitt, and he's like floating which, like it's through space. Which, mind you, is a cool as fuck practical effect. Like, it is a yes. very, very amazing effect. But it just, it just feels like it, it's like what it's like what I think dreams could be are like you're in that hallway and then you're not in that hallway. But it's like, right. what if the what if the hallway has to exist? Like the city has to exist. You know, you can't get rid of the. It has to exist, and then it just manipulates around you. And I'm like, mm. but like dreams are fucking wild. You know, like they're well, total I, acid trips. I, I remind you that Patrick Starr dreamed of just riding a little mechanical. You know. Yeah, but in an endless white plane, like like fucking the endless white plane from 
Pirates of the Caribbean or whatever had more dreamlike qualities than watching people drive around in a van. And and, and, I, yeah. and it's to say that maybe somebody with a specific type of divergency could would might have dreams like that, right? Like maybe that's how Nolan dreams. But anyway, oh it's not God. about Christopher Nolan's 2011. I don't know when that movie came out. I'm going to say 2010. Inception came out in 2010. Forrest, am I right? I don't know. Let me see. Papa, tell me. Father. 2010. Spectacular. Yeah, you are correct. Mike, the how I how I came about this was that. <laughs> I know that his deal with Warner Brothers was like, I give you Batman, you give me a movie. And it's like that back and forth. So it was like Batman Begins, and he did another movie, maybe Memento, after Batman Begins. Then he did The Dark Knight. Then he did Inception. Then he did The Dark Knight Rises. And then he did Interstellar, I want to say. Like, he's like, it was like a trade off. Like, I do what I want, and you do, I do one for you. And then he also just made a lot of money on everything because. He's a very talented director. No, no shade intended by I think his very, very boring way of looking at things. But yeah, you're like, right. You got a Batman and Prestige, a Batman and Inception, a Batman and then Interstellar. Yeah. So I think like Control. Thinking about video games again, like Control did a better job of like dreamlike stuff, and it isn't. And that was a world that was still governed by like a modified version of physics. Yeah. Right, because it was the idea that you could like open a door and it's not the room, you know, you like open a door and you go through it and then you go back through the door and that door is in turn dropping you off in the same room you started in and then you go in the door and then you're in the same room but you're upside down or like all of that stuff that we didn't do because we needed like continuity of shot because that's what we expect from movies. And I think that's maybe it in terms of dreams is like everything was smooth and interconnected when in reality it like shouldn't be and also it just bugs me that it's like a fucking fantasy town <laughs> like it, yeah, that too that we were not, like huh what foreign. is dreaming like it's not foreign at all it's just a dreamy town it's just a dream town it's just a town well well i think we're also maybe you know conflating how humans understand dream and how the master of its realm would perceive it right Ooh, the master's gonna like school us on yeah but like, Do you watching think the master's version of it would be more boring than the human's understanding of like, it. Like, look about how he like acquired the items to pay the fates. He like went into people's dreams. Like, yeah, and they but were if anything, boring. if anything, I think your argument fails you because because what I'm reading, what I'm hearing is that the dream doesn't create things. He's reacting to stimuli from mortals who dream, and then he takes those elements. And create structure from them. I think there's an ebb and flow to it. My problem is that I think it fails you. Is that his stimuli would be the wild acid trips that I'm saying? <laughs> like if he was only taking, if he was providing some influence and then taking some details, the details he'd be taking are like the wild acid trip shit that I'm talking about that we would dream of. And so you, he would then take that in some of those details, some of that information and implant it into his world. So like maybe part of the town is a fan, part of the town is fantasy high realm shit. And then randomly there's like a pink hippopotamus balloon that talks because surely someone has dreamt of that. Right. He goes to find something with a fragment of his power, right? That's episode two. Yes. That's the gargoyle. Yeah. Well, no, that's the, the dragony thing. 
that's gargoyle. the gargoyle. It's gargoyle. Oh, that's gargoyle. what a gargoyle looks like when they grow up. That's yeah. Oh, that makes more sense now. They call him a gargoyle. Yeah. I just remembered Goldie. That yeah. was all. Yeah. So in that moment, in that like beautiful T-ball moment, they were like, "Yep, fly him to a fantasy peasant village." Cain and Abel are regular dudes, and they die. Like, they kill each other a bunch. It's like a bit they do. And the thing that you're going to kill looks like a... I'm still going to say it. Like a fantasy dragon. It looks like Aragon. Like Aragon. Whatever. Aragon. Yeah. It looks like that. He looks like the... There's a there's a movie that came out in like 2006 or 2007 about mm-hmm. Nessie. He looks like that. Like, it, it, it's like... <laughs> it's like... It's so plain. of a, It's a good effect. Good. I'm not besmirching the artist. I'm besmirching no, the direction. That's what I mean. It's like to the pink hippopotamus balloon thing, right? Like what an easy throwaway moment to make something look like something not normal. Not like, oh, oi, me lord, you want to take our dragon? That makes me a mite sad. Like that's, do better. I don't know. I am going to finish it, right? I'm going to continue watching it. It's, the story is good. Especially once he like gets his stuff, right? Like that's only... Not, I don't know if this counts as a spoiler, but that's only like an arc of the story. There's more go. There's more that's going to go on. Like I like it. I'm going to watch more of it. But especially after this discussion and some some sweet screenshot action. Speaking of, uh, there's another one. <laughs> and uh, because like yeah, he like the things that he like inter- he, like intercepts as a guy. So who who is dreaming of of riding a carriage through a a field, and that's the whole dream. And there's not and there's not an incongruous element. It, we, I just don't think we're capable of structuring our dreams so so soundly that they make. I don't know. But that's that being pretty said, mundane dreams and just some Dane well, dreams. Ha! I was hoping so, you'd make so that you can make you could make a Dane pun with your name, but you can't understand when I say your name. That is correct. Understood. Uh, <laughs> uh, this was the long episode, but I feel like we didn't say much, and that's just in line with how we run things here <laughs> at Pop Culture Cake. If you were to give the first two episodes of the show a max score, which I'm bringing back, I am raising it yes. from the dead, just like Abel. It, it uh, never left yeah. from my perspective, because again, I was locked. You know. Yeah, again, I'm so yeah. sorry. I did not realize you might have said something, as opposed to just well, watching no, me I, leave. <laughs> no, that's what I mean, is I just stared intensely out that window. And I just walked away because. Mm-hmm. So, actually, last bit I forgot. It's almost dreaming. It's almost more dreamlike. Just thinking about how Cain and Abel, Cain just kills Abel constantly. Like that's almost kind of dreamlike in a way that is. It's a little bit like what's happened. Like what? Like it's just a little bit odd that it makes it more dreamlike. A little bit more Mad Hatter Wonderland, like where it's this weird, strange, isolated event or situation or characters that are in this odd cycle. But anyway. It's funny because it actually reminded me of uh, Hilda and Zelda from the Sabrina series on Netflix. I haven't seen that show. Okay. But I would like to. It's part of the Riverdale universe, which I am unfortunately fully into, which I will talk about at some point. But but, uh, Dane, Dane, max score for the first two episodes. Uh... Five out of seven. Perfect. Forrest. I'm going to say six maxes, but they're sad. They're sad maxes. They're Mm. sad maxes? Yeah, they're six sad maxes. Steve? I would give it one max giving a pep talk 
I think I would give it I'd give it two Maxes eating their favorite pie, but it's not made the way they want it to be made. But uh, they're like too polite to, it's to like, say anything but nice things about it. Yeah, it's like you you it's like I love me a key lime pie. It's probably my favorite pie. It's also one of the most difficult to get right pies in terms of like balancing sweetness and tartness. Uh, so like you've, I've had plenty of bad key lime pies and that's what's, what this is. I still enjoy it a little bit. Just two maxes eating a key lime pie and being like, eh, it's all right. <laughs> and that being said, you cannot find us on socials or we don't have them for you. You can definitely email us at popculturegig at gmail.com, which I'm sure none of us have looked at in a long time. We did take a little bit of a break in May, a little bit of a break in July, but potentially we're back. Uh, uh, don't hold us to that. Uh, okay, bye. Bye. Goodbye.